It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that, right? But what happens if you can't find your village? Because raising your child is really, really tough. What if you are so filled with shame and doubt and guilt and fear of judgment that you don't share your triumphs and your struggles? You don't talk about it because you don't think anyone can possibly relate. Well, I've been there and it was really hard for me to find my tribe. So I decided to make mine. I went out and found these amazing mothers who are also in the trenches, struggling to raise their kids. Together, we are a community. And in this podcast on the hard days, you'll find motivating stories from other real moms who get it. We're going to accept who we are and how we show up for our children each and every day, even on the hard days. My friends, let me tell you what I know after a year of podcasting. Number one, we are all wonderful mothers doing the best we can to meet the needs of our neurodiverse children, our family, and ourselves. That is so evident in the sheer number of mothers I've interviewed on the On the Hard Days podcast, pushing through and showing up day after day. And number two, as lonely as the journey feels, there are mothers out there just like you, raising kids just like yours. And honestly, They want to meet you. Yes, you. It's hard to make mama friends these days, especially when you have an out-of-the-box child. I needed this too. Moms I could text any time who were always supportive, who understood what I was going through. I scoured the internet to find my people, but came up empty-handed. That's when I decided to take matters into my own hands. Mothers Together launched in August, with the goal of forming lifelong friendships and making deep connections in a judgment-free, totally safe space. And let's just say it took off. In 2022, I hope to provide at least 100 mothers with the support they've been needing for years. While it seems like a lofty goal, consider this. After just two weeks with their pod squads, my Mothers Together members have said things like, and I quote, joining Mothers Together is the single best decision I've made for myself this year. And it's wild the confidence I've gained in myself and being less afraid of others judging me. And finally, There's so much support from each mom I've met, we all just instantly get each other's perspective. All the women are so open and vulnerable, it lends itself to feel closeness with one another. I feel so lifted by them daily. These messages show how badly we need community. We need solidarity. We need understanding. The journey to raising our neurodivergent children is not ever going to be easy, but being surrounded by women who lift you up on a daily basis can sure help. Are you ready to finally get the support and friendship you've been needing for years? Find me on Instagram at ontheharddays with dots in between each word and send me a DM or shoot me an email at ontheharddays at gmail.com. Finally, head on over to ontheharddays.com forward slash mothers together to get the sign up link. We can't wait to get to know you, my friend. The support that you need is finally here. Welcome back, everybody. I am very excited today to talk with my friend Jill. Now, Jill and I have been talking on and off for the past couple of weeks, and her neurodiverse child is very much like mine. The similarities are like it's it's real. And so when I was going back through my notes and circling some of the main points that I took away from our first conversation, it was like, oh yes, that's, that's, that's my kid. That's my kid. That's my kid. So I'm excited to deep dive into this. And so Jill, first of all, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, this is, it's so special. Um, so we have a lot in common here. We really do. Why don't you um, start by introducing your family and tell us about us. Tell us about us, not me. Tell us about you <laughs> and your family and we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, we are a family of four and um, I have my husband and then two boys and I'm the only girl. And trust me, I had, when we got another dog into the family, I had to have a female so mm. that I wasn't outnumbered. I hear that. <laughs> Uh, my kids are crazy, bubbly, energetic. Um, I have a nine-year-old son and that is my neurodiverse child and a seven-year-old son. And honestly, he's probably following that track, but he's not as, as, uh, intense (laughs) as the oldest. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I I don't know where should I go from here? I mean, it's crazy family chasing around. And it's funny because my husband and I are very laid back, chill homebodies, and our sons are the complete opposite. They just want to go, go, go. They're everywhere, all over the place. We just, the energy. Mm-hmm. What is that like, actually, if you and your husband are both so kind of relaxed and chill? What was that like when your boys kind of first started to show that they were not relaxed and chill? <laughs> what, what did that do for you guys? It was exhausting. <laughs> it still is exhausting. Yeah, yeah. But we just try to find activities where we can really, you know, kind of run them out or, you know, more play dates, you know, bring the play dates over and let them kind of expend energy. It's nice now that, you know, they're at the age where they play together versus just alongside each other. Because for a while then, even then adding another kid to the to the mix, you think, okay, well, you know, they're going to go off on their own and play. And then, you no, know, you kind of had to keep it moving along. Mm, yes. yes. <laughs> hey, should you share that toy? Or, hey, you know, teaching just like the social aspect of things. Mm-hmm. But really just trying to make sure that they were high, you know, intensity activities that would kind of wear them out so that mm-hmm. when it came bedtime, they put their heads down and they went to sleep and they didn't sit and try to talk for two hours. Mm, yes. <laughs> Now, what was it like when your first was a baby and and into a toddlerhood and preschool age? Did you start to see any signs of neurodiversity back then? Definitely. Um, My mom even says things like when, you know, uh, my oldest was an infant, just bringing him home from the hospital, which is, you know, two days, they kick you out kind of thing. And he was just very alert. I mean, his eyes were just, you know, you've seen kids when they're looking out the car window and their eyes are just tracking something and he's just tracking the trees going by or something like already. And so um, even just during preschool, just we stayed with one preschool. I really liked it because the ladies ended up just loving our kids like we love them. So there was no point on moving anywhere else. Um, you know, I really fought for a, um, a daycare that had good infant care. Um, so where we chose was, you know, for, for infants to a teacher, but then there's no bouncers. There's no, any of that kind of stuff where they could just set your kid down and walk away. Like they're either doing tummy time or they're asleep in their crib, but they were constantly interacting, which I loved. And I think that helped feed my oldest, like his, his yearn for learning. Cause he loves to learn. So I always kind of crack up because, you know, he wasn't quick when it came to um, coordination and stuff with his body, but his mind was just on point. And so, like, I remember one time we were getting ready to move him into the twos room. And 
I walked him over, introduced him to Miss Mimi and Miss Jessica, and uh, they had numbers taped on the floor. And he's jumping around one, two, three, four, you know, and doing his thing. And they're like looking at him like, what? <laughs> it's like, oh, we got that down. <laughs> We're good to go. Mm-hmm. You know, even when they push him in the little buggy around the center, you know, when they weren't crawling or walking just yet, they put him in the buggy and get them out of the room and kind of move them around and stuff. He'd be hollering out, hollering out the, the room numbers on the rooms. And like all the, you know, caregivers were like, what do you do with, you know, what do you do at home with him? Like, how, how does he know that already? I'm like, hey, he just knows it. <laughs> I mean, we read a lot. So I thought maybe that played into it, but little things like that. And then like, I've got a, the cutest little video from his preschool teacher when he's four and he's sitting in front of his class with his legs crossed like an adult. And he's flipping through and reading the Chicka Chicka Boom Boom book to <laughs> his classmates. Oh, and it was just like, say what? (laughs) So cute. So, but yeah. Yeah. No, and I think it's one of the things my son showed some showed signs of giftedness uh, around age four actually was when we first started to see it when he memorized the whole United States, well, actually the world map, but then the United States specifically based on the colors of his preschool puzzle. Anyway, so he would come home and color the, the paper, the colors that the puzzle was. He just has a good memory is really what it comes down to. Um, but I, you know, I always find it so interesting. I think, and I, I'm the first one to admit that I've done this, but like when, when you have a child that does something great <laughs> or something positive, it's so, you know, we go, yeah, like we did this really well. We, I, I, I exposed him to this and this, and we talked about this. And so, you know, and then, but when your child maybe doesn't make good choices or struggles with behaviors, it's so easy to sort of blame yourself too. And really what I've come to realize is that I don't really get much credit for either one for, (laughs) for the rough behaviors, the giftedness, the good behaviors, whatever, whatever. I really can't take credit for any of it. My kid is who he is and he'll do what he wants for the most part. Um, And it's just so funny, but it is cool, especially with a neurodiverse kid. I found a lot of, um, comfort in my son being gifted because everything else was a cluster. And so to have this, it was at least something I could work with. So tell me about that, because I know you talked before about when your child went to school, like elementary school, and and there were some issues and the, the anger and all of that. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I tried to stay on top of it, even like preschool wise, you know, because I knew that, you know, he had a gifted aspect of making sure that, you know, Hey, is he socializing? Is he doing this and that with other kids? He's not just, you know, a little, you know, hanging out by himself. I wanted to make sure that we were moving the emotional IQ around as well. And that's where it became more apparent when we hit kindergarten that emotionally he wasn't he wasn't, you know, where the rest of his classmates were intellectually soaring above, but emotionally, it was really hard for him to vocalize and verbalize his emotions. He couldn't even identify them. Like you said, he could recite the alphabet forwards and backwards without taking a breath, but he couldn't identify when he was mad or he was sad or he was happy. Mm -hmm. So right away, like in kindergarten, I, I was like, oh my gosh, because I think we were not even a month in. And he, he had to pay a visit or had a, had a visit paid to him from the principal because he got mad about something and he took his shoe off and he chucked it at the whiteboard wall. 
And it was like, oh, oh here we go. <laughs> you, know, like, mm-hmm. you know, and so we were always constantly trying to work with him on, you know, trying to help him as, identify his emotions. Like, I see you're angry or, you know, labeling it, trying to give him the opportunity. But even now at nine, he still gets a little frustrated and can't verbalize it. And for what it's worth, I'm kind of hypersensitive to like people and feelings and stuff. So I feel like he's gotten some of that for me where if he's upset about something and I ask him, Hey, you know, what, what are you upset about? What do you think? And he's like, I don't know. It's like, I, sometimes I'm like, he may really not know because he'll take on other people's emotions too, on top of his own that are already huge and super sensitive. And so I'm kind of just figuring that out within this past month. Like, I wonder if this is, you know, some of this because he can't identify because there are, he's now nine. So he can say certain things and verbalize it, but there's other times where he just doesn't know where that, that energy came from and mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yes. My, my you kid know? is the same. And sometimes again, at an older age, my son is eight. So within the last year or so he could be in a great mood. And another one of my children has a meltdown and he will snap. And it's almost like he's the one having the meltdown. And that's actually happened where we're like, buddy, this has nothing to do with you or, you know, this, this wasn't your, your issue, but he just can't help it. And now he's raging, but for no reason, because he was a part of and witnessing a heightened emotions from somebody else. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Younger brother gets in trouble. Right. And then, you know, he takes on that feeling and gets all angry because his younger brother got in trouble. And then it's just like, and I was like, "Why, Hey, Whoa, you weren't part of the situation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just classic. I mean, I guess highly sensitive child. Um, But when we, it's the anger piece for me, first of all, the anger piece has been one of the hardest parts for me as a mother Mm -hmm. in all of the struggles that we've had. It's the anger, but you talked about this cycle of, explosive anger and then guilt. And what, what's that like for your child and, and how does that affect you too? Cause that's hard. Yeah, it def, I definitely, it, it, it's hard. It's um, what we tend to find or see is that, you know, he'll do something. And if you don't address him with the proper tone because of his sensitivity, um, you know, depending on what day I'm having, I can control it better than others you know, it will set him off. And then if you, Davis, don't do that, you know, then he'll, he'll be like upset because whatever he did, he was being impulsive. And so then I'm trying to correct him on his impulsivity. And then he immediately takes it to anger and starts, you know, taking it to that next level, next level. And we call it the red zone in our house. (laughs) Um, But then it's like, he gets ashamed because he couldn't control his impulsivity. And then he gets angry. And then you know, oh, yes. verbal, verbal, you know, sewage comes out and it's <laughs> a great way to put it. Verbal sewage. You know, and there's days you can deflect it and there's days you can. Some days it's pretty hurtful. I mean, there's there's things that have come out of him that I'm just like, there's there's no way I would have said that to my mom back in the day when I was nine. And two, it's like, why is he going for this reaction? Why is he, you know, it's almost like I'm a bad kid. So I'm just going to be bad. And it's like, no, no, you're not. You're, you're a good kid. Mm-hmm. We just have, you know, we don't, we're missing some filters here and there. Yeah. <laughs> <for now. laughs> yeah. 
that cycle is so, first of all, I, I get the cycle because he goes through the same thing, but it's so complicated. There's anger about your anger. Like it's yes. so deep, something, what we might consider something small, a little impulsive thing, but not, you know, not a huge crisis, yeah. but they get, I guess maybe it's some embarrassment as well. Embarrassed that they couldn't keep it together. So then now they're angry. Mm-hmm. They feel vulnerable, which turns into guilt, which turns into I'm a bad kid, which I've heard my child say before as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they or, almost like a self-fulfilling, you know, telling themselves what they think they need to hear, which just makes them feel more angry and more depressed. It's this whole thing. And really, we just stand back and watch the whole thing happen. It's like the whole thing happens in their head on their own. Yes. And I know it for me, so the fast. Red, yeah, it's so fast. It's like instant. And the red zone for us doesn't work. We're, we're going from zero to 100 and skipping all the numbers in between. I, we, when we took him to OT many times over the years, and a lot of it was unfortunately not too helpful. Um, you know, it was like, we talked about the zones of regulation and, and helping him identify all the feelings. And, and he's, he's very much able to do that. He just doesn't want to show them. And when he does show them, he gets angry that he showed them. And now he shows them even more. Um, it's just, it's just so complicated. And they told me, well, see if you can catch him in like yellow before he gets to red. Cause you can do this, this, and this, and this to stop it or to help it stop There's in no yellow. yellow. There's no yellow. <laughs> it's a switch. No, it's on yeah. or it's off. Yes. 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 Ah. Yes. Uh, that one, that's frustrating because I felt angry too. I was angry that I couldn't find the yellow. I'm like, am I supposed to chase him around all day and just, you know, breathe right down his neck? And as soon as he gets frust- <laughs> like the slightest bit of frustration, it's just so hard to know. It's so hard. But that cycle of anger and guilt and depression and repeat is very much extremely relatable for, for my kid. Um, yeah. And then you end up, you know, tiptoeing around going, I don't want to set them off, yes. you know, but then when you do, I mean, it, and it's just like, but then there's other days where you're like, no, I'm yes. not going to tiptoe around this. There's going to be nobody else in this world. That's going to accommodate him. So we need to find the triggers. We need to figure out how to deal with it or help him, you know, deal with it. And so it's just like, there's some days where you, you, you accommodate and there's other days where you're like, Hey, this is life. And yes. I know <laughs> Yes. It's probably not the best approach, but there's some days where that's what we were told as kids. Well, that's the other thing too, is that with raising neurodiverse kids, like I I can't be consistent in the way that society thinks a parent should be. I cannot, I can't always be X every time. It just can't. Sometimes it's gotta be Y. And I had so much guilt about that too, because a strong mother would in fact, I just um, released a mini episode about this, um, about boundaries. Like a good mother would hold her boundaries. You set them, you hold them because I said, so I'm the mom, you're the kid. It doesn't have to be yelling, but still firmness. Like that's what a good mother does. And I can't, the rules change. The rules change based on if he's hungry, if he's tired, if, if, you know, he, he is so sensitive. So if something happened or he feels like something happened, all bets are off. It's like every moment is a different game. You sort of have to play to get peace in your house. So I, I feel that. Um, yeah. And I remember you talking about how some of the things that got your son upset were actually not big things. 
like when you're talking about someone reading over his shoulder or something like that, like it, it almost snowballs from a tiny thing. It's not like, it's not like they're facing these massive crises. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard because we don't, you know, necessarily live it or see it. So it's, it's hard to understand. And as a mom, you want to help, but then, you know, like you mentioned before about, you know, there was one day where he, he came home and he didn't want to go to bed. We couldn't figure out why, you know, bedtime is always a struggle. And so it was one of those things where you just, you know, he, he blew up and we're just like, there's something bigger bothering you. What is it? What is it? You know, it took us two hours to get it out of him that one, he was at summer camp and he had a book and the child was looking over shoulder reading. And it was like, well, bub, you know, maybe that book was just super interesting and the kid wanted to check it out too. And then, you know, and then he rolls into another thing of, well, I brought my, my three foot snake I got at the zoo, you know, from grandma and these kids were petting and touching it without asking permission. And I said, well, they might not know to ask permission and it's a super cool toy. And all they want to do is try to touch it. Like, you know, but yes, those little things kind of set them off and it, it, it just, I mean, it went into like, you know, the room got ransacked mm-hmm. and we kind of finally calmed down and finally went to sleep by about nine 30. And mm-hmm. we go to bed by lights off at eight 30 usually. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you that's know? the whole thing. It's, and not only some, I mean, obviously they're not little issues to them, but yeah. And any kid might get irritated, but our kids take it to a whole other level and, and they can't get out of their own way. Um, and it's hard to know what to say there because if I reassurance is does the opposite. It's not reassuring at all. So I've learned to not reassure except with my other two, I can, because they're a bit more typical, but he doesn't even know what he wants either. So if I'm like, do you want some advice? Do you want me to just listen? He's like, I don't know. And it just feels very dysfunctional on, on those moments. Um, because he doesn't, he's got a lot of triggers a lot. And some of them are, are things that he doesn't even realize like when he's hungry or tired, you know, um, it's, it's, it's hard. You talked about being when he's overstimulated, especially around other people, um, which is so (laughs) relatable. Is that something that he struggles with often? Yes. Um, I've noticed more like if he's on a one-on-one situation playing with a friend, you know, he's more himself. But when he gets into a group situation, say recess, it's overstimulating. It's like a lot. I don't know who to play with, when to play with them, how to play with them. And it just blows his mind, you know, and some of the times he ends up not playing at all because, you know, he, he doesn't know which way to go or he has his mind set on what he wants to play <laughs> and, and he wants people to come play with him but he's not willing to play what they want to play later. He's not willing to take the turn. You know, some kids will say, Oh, okay, well, let's, let's play your game first and then we'll go play your game. And David's like, no, all or nothing in my game over here. And I don't care. Even though I want friends, if you don't follow me, fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. My son's done the same thing, even just within our own house, um, you know, sort of a give and take, like he really wants someone to do something with him or help him with something. Okay. But they need help too. Well, no, no, it's, it's, and it comes off as disrespect almost. It comes across as I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. And truly, we, you know, you and I, as moms do a, a great job of constantly analyzing these situations, but other people 
might not and be like, oh, you know, who does that kid think he is? Who my kid thinks he is, is someone who has no friends, even though he has plenty. It's someone who does not see his own worth, low confidence, low self-esteem. It's not the other way around. And, and so it's, I try to remind myself like what comes across as I'm the best is really, I am struggling with my confidence. Um, it's mm-hmm. hard to get other people to understand that because that seems so backwards. I don't know. Yes. Yes. No, it's definitely, it's definitely there. It's definitely, I mean, even just in our small, like you said, the family dynamic, you know, he's really clingy and he, you know, he'll be like, well, I want to go to target with mom, mom only. Nobody else is allowed to go. And so, oh well, you know, yeah. we're going to go do this as a family group. You know, this is something for us to go out and do or no, nope, no. Nope. And if it's not just him and me, we're, we're out of it. We're, we're in the zone already, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, so, yeah. And it's, it seems like, you know, like a selfish type attitude, but it's really just, I guess, asking for more attention, mm. you know, and I try to give it, but then I feel like my second child is, you know, he, he's getting jealous. I, I see that all the time between the two of them, you know, the oldest is jealous because the youngest is very physical and, and in control of his body and can do whatever he puts his mind to when it comes to athletics. And my youngest is jealous because my oldest can, you know, read and, and talk about the elements of the periodic table and play music, you know, by ear. And, you know, and it's just, how do you, how do you balance that all out? Yes. I struggle with that all the time. Yes, I do too. And I was just going to ask you any tips, like, how do you, oh. <laughs> do you handle that? Cause it's so hard. It's hard. I don't know. I just try to try to, you know, give them each, you know, equal amount of time, but even then sometimes that's not enough. Cause one will call out the other You're like, Oh, well you did this with so, you know, and it's just like, Oh, but guys, you're killing me. If I spend all my time trying to make sure that we're even Steven all the way, nobody's going to get to do anything. <laughs> I literally just said that the other day. So, and especially, I mean, my neurodiverse kid is a twin, And my younger one is as tall as the twins pretty much. So he thinks he's a triplet. And so essentially they're all triplets. And um, we just had that conversation. It started off with what the fairness issue, which I think the fairness issue is definitely typical of this age group. And it's still obnoxious. It's an obnoxious thing. It drives me bonkers. But neurodiverse kids take fairness very seriously. And, but only if it, like if they happen to get more than the other, that's fine. Benefits, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> has to benefit them, but they are very, very like dead set on, on it being equal. And, and that is hard. In fact, that leads me to something that we discussed, which is empathy in our kids because our boys are so similar. And I, I mentioned how I know my child has empathy for other people, mm-hmm. but, but it was real hard to see it for a while. And it's only just now that I'm starting to see it in specific ways. And, and you, that resonated with you, I guess. So tell me about that empathy piece. Yeah. So what I've been noticing is, you know, there's certain things where he'll do something and I'm like, God, that was mean, you know, even with his brother, but I guess, you know, my husband says brothers will be brothers. Okay. You know, (laughs) I grew up with an older brother, but you know, we kind of balance each other out. I didn't see two boys at it, you know, (laughs) But yeah, just with empathy, there's certain things that, you know, he will get his feelings hurt, you know, by any, anything, whether it's slight or it's major, he'll get his feelings hurt. 
But then he'll turn around and do that action to another child. And he doesn't see how it affects that other child the same way. He doesn't understand that what he felt when it happened to him is what it could feel like for that child. He, it just doesn't resonate with him. But like when we had our previous discussion too, I had like this little aha moment a while ago where he will show empathy, but it's typically to children younger than him, except his brother. Let's put his brother in quotations because brother's brother. <laughs> right. But right. when the children are younger than him, he will show empathy and he will show very, you know, caring. There was a little boy, we were at parent teacher conference night one night and there's a little boy sitting in a classroom and he was looking for his mom. He's yelling, mom, mom. And my husband was walking around the hallway with him and, and Davis was like, we need to, we, we need to find this kid's mom. Let's, let's, can we, can we go help him? And my husband's like, yeah, sure. Of course. Well, it turns out that, you know, his mom was one of the teachers and she was having a conference in another room. You know, she had to bring him to school. So she he was just going to camp out in her classroom for a bit, you know. And so we, we figured out and matched it all up. But, you know, he was not going to rest until that child got with his mom. It didn't matter. You know, nothing else mattered at that point. So I know he has it, you know, and there are certain little things here and there. But there are things where it will bother me if he gets mad and he say, you know, we love we love animals, you know. So the dog is is up there with all of us, you know, in our family and. There's things like he'll get mad and he'll like throw a pillow at, and at her. And I'm just, I'm trying to keep it together. <laughs> you know? But I'm like, we don't hurt things. We don't hurt people. Yeah. We don't hurt animals. We yep. don't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. Go screaming a pillow or something, but mm-hmm. do not take, you know, your physical aspects out on anybody because, you know, it's not okay. You know, so that then I'm just like, oh, you know, we're, let's, let's not get into, you know, hurting animals mm-hmm. or Mm-mm. It's always a worry. (laughs) Totally. Totally. My youngest is that's a concern with him right now. Um, although he loves dogs and loves our dogs. I, I think empathy is, it's tough because again, your neurotypical kid is going to present empathy in a certain way that we all recognize. Mm -hmm. And it looks very clear. Oh, that's empathy. They feel for another child and they're Um, you know, that's, that's lovely. I guess people would think in our son's cases, you have to see it in a different way, Mm -hmm. but it's there. It is totally there. And so you, I had written down that empathy is hard to see when it comes to immediate family. And that's the same here, same here, but like when it comes to, is somebody okay? Is, you know, they hear a baby crying, baby crying in a store. Is the baby okay? I think the baby's crying. Is the baby okay? Um, and, yes. and so we know it's there, like we know it's there. And it was concerning because I felt like I had empathy was a little bit of a trigger for me because I felt like I needed him to show empathy in front of other people so that yeah. other people wouldn't judge him for not being empathetic. Does that make yes. sense? Yes, like, it, do- it totally does. And it's yeah. hard because you just like, please don't judge my kid. I promise they have feelings and I promise they're caring and I promise they're loving. They're actually my son is so caring that I would say he's overly caring. And so he actually feels very vulnerable when he shares his feelings mm-hmm. like that. And he hates how that feels. So he just doesn't talk about it, but it doesn't mean it's not happening in his brain. And how are you supposed to explain that to, you know, people who, who expect an I'm sorry when they accidentally <laughs> knock someone over. Cause I'll tell you right now, it's never happening or, you know, 
sort of your just typical ways of showing your feelings for other people it just doesn't happen. Yeah. I don't know. I find that very yeah. frustrating. Um, and one thing that you talked about too, is that, you know, questioning yourself and I have done that a million times over the years. First of all, where do you stand with that now? But also what were the things that you were playing in your own head as your kid was getting older in terms of worrying that it was on you and that you had done something wrong? And where was your mindset? Oh gosh, I'm still there. (laughs) I like to call it a day-to-day battle. (laughs) Some days were good. There's some days there's not, but yes, just, just, um, constantly wondering, am I providing him the tools he needs to be the best him? Am I giving him enough opportunities? Am I also teaching him how to live in the real world? You know, again, like, cause I battled with it a lot with, you know, first grade, his teacher kind of called out some things, you know, Hey, you know, you might want to look into this or whatnot. And he said, yeah, okay. You know, maybe I'll grow out of it. You know, I was entertaining a bunch of different things with, you know, sleep and other things. And so it's like, for me, it's kind of like I went overboard and I tried to, you know, get like every single book I possibly could and try to read it and figure out what can I do and what, what can, how I can, you know, if there's a situation, how can I address this situation or that what situation? And then, you know, I don't know if you found this or not, but everything's very vague <laughs> in those books. Uh, yeah. Very and you're much like, so. I just read 200 pages and I'm, I got nothing, not any further than I was no. when I started, you know? And so it's like, I I will read all these books and then I'm just like, okay, is it, is it me? Am I just not figuring out a way to be consistent? I'm not figuring out a way to apply these things that these, that these people are talking about, you know, will that work with a family? Will it not work with a family? Like, am I, do I change his diet? Do I put him on medicine? You know, all those things. And so I'm constantly judging myself because like first grade, again, there were signs, you know, with regards to, you know, his schoolwork and staying on, on task because, because kindergarten and all they, they're playing around anyway. I mean, they're still intense with, you know, learning things, but it's, it, as the grade levels go up, it gets more and more um, intense. And, and the teacher's are very warm and fuzzy in kinder and first. And as you start branching up, it's not, you know, it's not quite there. And I don't know if that's intentional or, or what, (laughs) but I noticed in second grade, he was still above average with his, his, you know, his, his classmates and whatnot, but yet he kind of wasn't advancing as much as he had before. And so I'm like, okay, well, we'll just kind of wait this one out. had a couple discussions, but third grade, his self-confidence tanked part because I think it was third grade two, it was COVID. So, you know, they were, you know, virtual for part of the time. And then when they went back, he couldn't see the teacher's face. He couldn't, you know, articulate. And he had his name called up quite a bit because my son likes to talk. He likes to talk a lot. And and so it, it was one of those things where he, you know, constantly, but then the kids would latch on to that. And, you know, Davey's got in trouble, you know, and then see, he'd come home every day just feeling bad about himself. And I'm just bad kid and I can't be good. I'm like, no, you can. But it's like, am I, what, what can I do? Do I, you know, overthinking, right? We're, we're overthinking. Do I pull him out? Do I put him in a special school? Do I, my husband's like, calm down, <laughs> like stop, stop the, hit the brakes. <laughs> no, but it's, it's typical. Yeah. But yeah, you just try, you just go through all these things and it's like, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? How, you know, 
it's an everyday battle. It is long story long, everyday battle, every, everyday battle for sure. Um, I thought the same thing. Is this the right schooling? You know, I overthink the schooling thing. I mean, I really do kind of beat that to death in my head of what, what should I be doing for him academically? Because, and here's the key for him academic. I don't need some like straight A, like that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for happiness. And my child is happy when he is being challenged, but not too challenged, not too hard, Mm -hmm. not too easy, just right. Just right happens to not be his grade level in certain subjects and other subjects. Just right is his grade level. Mm -hmm. I'm writing, writing mostly. Um, and so it's like, I, I need to make sure that I'm doing the best for him, but, but I can't like right now I'm not in a position to pull him. And again, he's got the twin sister and she loves school. And, and that's so hard trying to meet the needs of your other kids. Yeah. When you have a neurodiverse child, um, the balancing act all the time. And if you're anything like me, you probably put yourself, you know, towards the bottom. Um, and it just feels like you're constantly concerned with making sure that everyone is okay. And that's, that's like, that's a lot. It's exhausting. Yeah. The only, the only thing that I have found to be helpful with regards to like just school and stuff is surrounding him, you know, advocating for him, but also trying not to be, you know, in the teacher's face too much, but letting the teacher know, I know, I want to know what's going on. I want you to share with me. This is a partnership. We are here to work together. If something works good for me at home, I'll share it with you. If something works, you know, good at school, share it with me, you know, keep it open conversation. And I found that to be very helpful um, because honestly, (laughs) I kind of have a team over there at the elementary school right now looking out for him. I've got his kinder teacher. She's always checking on and going and talking to every new teacher he has every year. Going, Oh my gosh, you know, he's my favorite. He has a piece of my heart. You know, he thinks differently, you know, and so kinder and first grade teacher are looking out for him, constantly following up with him. You know, I've got a couple other teachers that that check in on him. You know, one time, one day he was having a really hard time. Something happened at school. He didn't want to go to school, but I couldn't get it out of him what it was that morning. And so he's, you know, standing outside the door crying and we can't go in. You know, we just have to shove him through the door <laughs> and he's just crying and just upset. So I had to go park because I don't want to slow down the carpool line, you know, God forbid. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> that, gets, that gives me anxiety, but anyway, no, <laughs> and so I go park, I walk him up to the door and the librarian, I, I volunteer in the library librarian came over and said, you know what, Davis, you know, come with me, come back to the library, sit and calm yourself down. You can dry your eyes. I'll tell your teacher you're here with me, give you a moment to gather yourself. And then we, I'll, you know, then I'll walk you down to your class. I mean, oh my God, I went home and I cried. I was like, thank God for her. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But just, that's the only thing that's kind of helped me staying in the school you know, system that we're in is just finding those people that love him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to agree. And I'm an elementary school teacher too. So I, I get it on both sense, senses, yes. but it, it benefits everybody. If as a teacher, I can reach out to a child and give them something simple, like come take a break in my room. Um, Mm -hmm. As a mother dropping off your, your upset child is like the worst feeling. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and for us in kindergarten, he, the transition to kindergarten was terrible. I don't, for many million, million reasons. And the teacher was lovely, very lovely, but it wasn't, it had nothing to do with her. It wasn't about the teacher, but he had a um, major school refusal and melted down every single morning, every morning. And so it's like, I mean, it was, he opened his eyes in bed and he'd start screaming before he even climbed out of bed. Um, But, but he wouldn't even always say it was about school. He just couldn't even verbalize. And he just had these massive meltdowns. Our kids are so deep and complicated and sensitive. Um, And in my case, there's some ADHD and anxiety and sensory processing and giftedness Mm -hmm. and trying to meet their needs is really hard. So what do you do on a given day, on an ordinary day when your child is struggling? Oh gosh. Because <laughs> I need all the help I can get. <laughs> what I'm, what I've, my current tactic, <laughs> let's put it this way. Today's, today's it trick. changes all the time. As soon as you think you got it down, yeah. they'll, they'll throw you for a loop and then you're back at square one. But my current tactic is just, again, like school's going to handle the education side of things. So I really need to throw in the emotional, the EQ, the emotional quotient and just, you know, try to start him off in the day of, you know, going to his betterment it seems so simple, but it's just, when you're rushing around, it's, you lose track sometimes, but go in his room, try to, you know, when you wake him up, just, you know, say two things I love about him. You know, and we just kind of exchange that just trying to build up his confidence before we even get out of bed. Like you got this, you know, you're really, you're really smart. You're really good at hearing music and just playing it. You know, I love seeing you play the piano because you put your whole body into it. Cause you're not just playing it. You're feeling it. You know, just, I try to start with things like that right now is my current tactic. Just you're a good kid. You, you are meant to do great things someday you know, don't let anybody kill your curiosity because he is very curious. And that's the thing we struggle with, with ADHD too, as well as he's not a good test taker. He just wants to blow through. He doesn't understand the importance of the testing. And unfortunately we're in a school system that does nothing but testing. That's a nationwide problem. Yeah. He wants to go and he's, he's already committed. He goes, I'm going to work for Google corporate. I'm going to have my doctorate. Like, he's like, I'm going all 10 years of college. And I'm like, Oh God, hope we can afford it. (laughs) But trying to get him to understand, Hey, third grade, you started grades. You know, you got to have decent grades if you want to be able to select the school you want to go to, you know, and trying, and I know that's too big of a picture for him to grasp because it's got to be, you know, what's in front of him at the moment. But I don't know. I'm hoping this year he really wants to be part of student council and you know, you have to be exemplary and you have to have um, great citizenship and stuff. So fingers crossed that is a motivator for him to kind of slow down and do his, you know, grades properly or, or, you know, just take his time with assignments because he would blow through them. And, you know, if they get in their system, if they get below, you know, if they get a failing grade, they have an opportunity to make it back up, but they can only make it to 70%. Right. Right. You know, and so just trying to get him like, Hey, let's, let's focus on doing it right. The first time, you know, last year with COVID everything, they didn't want to pass out papers. So everything was on computers. Well, my son has curiosity. And if he's got Google at his fingertips, yes. he didn't care about multiplication. Nope. You know, he, he's going to go check out the empire state building and how many floors and, you know, 
he was researching this this uh, B-52 bomber that, you know, flew into the 79th and 80th floor. He cared about stuff like that versus, you know, yes. let's do our spelling. <laughs> yes. You know, it's funny. I've, I've noticed this. My students having used using iPads last year for the first time during COVID. Yeah. yeah it's like even when we were in person, they were still using iPads. I mean, I had to, as a teacher, like, all right, guys, you can't keep your hands off the iPad, sit on your hands. I don't know, do something because the desire to get that dopamine rush, Mm -hmm. I must go click on something else. And that is, that's hard for any kid, but especially a kid who struggles with impulsivity, like mine does. Um, Chat chat we, oh, <laughs> you get in trouble because i mean he's technologically advanced too right so he yeah. figures things yes. he, he doesn't have a fear of screwing anything up so he will try and do anything and he figures out how to do things that sometimes i don't you know like you change them on my phone what'd you do yeah. go back how do you go back yeah. but like yeah he figured out chat right away and then he you know coaxed all his friends to chat and the teacher's talking and he's chatting and i'm like no oh, give him a worksheet yes right but he would just blow through his test because what was the reward? Right. Game times on his laptop. Yeah. And yep. I told his teacher, I'm like, we can't, we can't No, game times on laptop. If you get nine out of 10, right. Let's mm-hmm. do that. Right. <laughs> because they, the reward is again, more, more dopamine and they get yeah. things so quickly too. the sort of the ADHD combined with the giftedness together. Mm-hmm. means they're going to learn really fast. They don't need to practice it 30 times. And many kids do need it 30 times, but they need yeah. it twice. Yeah. And so now they're bored and they're antsy. So mm-hmm. they're going to start, you know, clicking on things. And um, do you find that your son melts down a lot at school or does he mostly keep it together and just do it at home like mine? <laughs> he mostly keeps it together. Yeah. And lets it go at home when he gets yeah. home. I mean, there's been certain instances like, you know, um, he'll get to, you know, another thing that I don't quite understand as a parent, but like there'll be a certain show that they'll watch, an educational show. There'll be, you know, Cyber Chase is one of them. And there's one character on Cyber Chase that just, he doesn't like the way the character looks or makes him feel or how that character interacted in one episode for five seconds can't watch cyber chase anymore so there is one point at school where the teacher put it on at lunch and he lost it he ran out into the hallway crying i can't watch this i can't watch this and thankfully again i have my little troop of of loving teachers there that you know one's like okay let's you know walk down to my room you can sit down here with me you know while they're watching that or whatnot but that's the only time he's really had like an incident at home at school mm-hmm. lately you know within the past couple of years it has to deal with one magic school bus episode that he doesn't like Mm. or, you know, like that cyber chase because Mm. he doesn't, he doesn't like one of the characters just doesn't sit right well with him. So that just screams sensitive to me and in a, in a really emotional way, actually, like it's not a bad thing necessarily. My kid is similar, just so highly sensitive to the way a character was speaking and how it made him feel. Um, I think that's me too with a lot of like media. I can't, I can't watch scary movies. I don't, I don't, I don't like violent movies. I, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter that it, it's a movie, even if it's superheroes, it's still like, it just gets to me. Um, yes. So I, I feel that. Do you, what are your words of wisdom to sort of wrap it up to say, you know, I know you don't 
have it all figured out and none of us do, but what could you offer to moms who are listening, who are struggling with similar things with their kids? Um, just find a community of people that know what you're going through, you know, like it, it's, it's a big thing. It's a big support system surrounding yourself with people that can help you understand or, or, or you know, like my husband and I, we balance each, each other out, you know, if one, one's short on patients, the other one steps in and, and we've been very, you know, lucky with results. There's maybe one time where we're both like, you both have just had it yes. <laughs> you know? yes, just create your distance, but yeah. Just finding those people that understand you, finding um, that support group, knowing that you're doing your best, no matter what. It may not look like your best to anybody else, but if you know that you're doing your best, that's enough. It's enough. Yeah, that's it'll enough. work out. It will. I love that advice, and I think I appreciate you saying all those things. It's a reminder that we all need all the time. And I had to laugh because my husband and I do the same thing with patients. And I will literally say to him when it's like the 10th meltdown of the day from whichever child, you know, and I'll, I'll be like, I'm done. Like I, I can need a break or something. And he'll come in. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll take care of it. And I'll say, what, how much patience you got? Like you have enough, you're <laughs> enough in your, your tank to deal with this. Or, cause if not, I have a little bit left in my tank and I can finish this meltdown out and you can have the next one. And we sort of, you know, you just, you have to, you have to yes. do that. Um, but it doesn't always work out that, that perfectly. Um, but and Jill, no, no one to ask for help too. Yeah. And so you don't yeah. have to take it all on. You don't, it's okay to say, Hey, somebody help me out here. <laughs> I, and sometimes it's hard to know who to go to because you, you want it to be judgment free, right? You don't want to feel that someone's judging you. If you like, you found a team at school for him, mm-hmm. that's lovely. So you have people that you can say, Hey, I need a little help here. Um, all such important, important things, but Jill, our kids are so similar. It's crazy. <laughs> um, and I just want to thank you for, for sharing because it's not just me and it's not just you. And there's no. so many of us that are going through this at the same time. Yes. Um, if any mothers want to reach out to you, are you open to that? Or if they yeah. want to say hello and how should they do that? Um, I can just share my information with you. And if they want to reach out, then, you know, you can share that my email address with them, whatnot. And we'll get in contact that way. That sounds perfect. Yeah. My dog is, you hear her, she's scratching at the door. So she's making a, <laughs> an appearance in this, um, in this episode, but, but Jill, thank you so much for being here as it's been just lovely talking to you just like it was the first time. And um, I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing our conversations because our boys are just so, so similar, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you would like to talk with me personally, where we can chat and just get to know each other, like old friends, I would love to do a discovery call with you go to my website on theharddays.com and click on schedule a call. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please do so so that you get the latest when they roll out. Not to mention, please leave a review if you feel like this episode spoke to you. That way, the podcast will be shown to more mothers. And finally, you can find me on Instagram at ontheharddays with dots in between each word, or in my free Facebook community, On the Hard Days Podcast and Community. If you are feeling isolated in your parenting journey, I encourage you to reach out, 
through any of these means so that I can connect you with your people and support you in whatever way you need.